And we are back with another amazing episode of the Elite Seller Show. Today's guests are Eric and Brian Zabarek. Preferably uh, reach out to them, call them the Zab Twins. So these guys actually have a very interesting story about how they got into the Amazon world. Uh, they spent a lot of time in corporate America. They're extremely young. They're highly successful. You can find them all over social media and they're actually today's guests. So we're going to be talking about work-life balance, automating your business and creating balance as an Amazon seller. I'll let you guys take it off. Feel free to introduce yourselves. You yeah. get it, Brian. <laughs> this always happens when happen there's two lot. of us we just look at the camera and it's like who's gonna go first so if that happens and you'll also probably notice that we're probably gonna say the same thing and we talk over each other just it just happens as a twin thing but yeah i'll definitely dive in here i'm brian Zabirik, the younger twin more of the creative side we like to identify ourselves uh, based off of our personalities so i deal with more of like the vision planning within our businesses creativity a lot of launching and marketing aspect of things and eric's more of the analytical guy but i'll let him introduce himself but that's myself uh, eric go ahead, go ahead and introduce yourself then i can dive into our story yeah i, I consider myself the analytical one because i love looking at numbers i love love looking at data which is you know you don't get very often so i always like to say brian and i really compliment each other um because you don't typically get that, especially with, with twins. You know, I know a lot of twins and it's either you love each other or you absolutely hate each other. So there's never a happy medium. Um, so me being the analytical one, him being the creative one works really, really well. Um, like Brian mentioned, I'm the older one. <laughs> you can probably tell. Just kidding, look the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, ex I'm super excited to, to be on the podcast here and uh, to share a little bit about our story. And, uh, and yeah, interesting topic in regards to uh, just balance as an Amazon seller and how we were able to leave our corporate jobs, get into the Amazon space and, you know, make a living for ourselves. So cool. I like that, man. I like that. So, so guys, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your corporate background and how you transitioned over to Amazon. It seems like you guys had one hell of a journey. Yeah, man, absolutely. So I kind of like to peel it all the way back because I think it really stems from our childhood. To be honest with you, my parents are both first round immigrants, one's from the Philippines, one's from Poland, hence our last name, hence our dark skin, but all said and done, like we don't have any other family. I kid you not, no other blood related family within Canada or the United States, quite frankly, um, more so like second, second cousins or aunts, things along those lines that we don't typically see. So it's pretty much just been us. Like our family has been our rock, but because of that, the risk that my parents have had to take to come into Canada and be first round immigrants, they've always been cautious and, and very risk averse. They don't want to take a lot of risks and they kind of put that onto us as well. So to put things in perspective for you, uh, my older brother's an engineer. He was, I don't want to say pushed towards that direction. He is more technical, so to speak. So it lines up perfectly, mm -hmm. but because of that, him entering in, so to, so to speak, trades or more like stability within a job, our parents wanted us to do the same engineering trades, um, things along those lines. They didn't even want us to go into business school, quite frankly, but we, we finally convinced them that we wanted to do business school. We wanted to be in business for ourselves. Um, and I think it was the best decision of our lives for them to let us do that in the first place. And we've always looked up to our parents, but they never saw business as an opportunity in Vancouver in the market here. And we knew that we wanted to make a lot of money. That was like the top end line. We wanted to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and us getting into a sales role was that option for us, right? Because dealing with an organization where you have um, an uncapped commission, you can make as much as you want, as long as you're putting in the work. That's kind of where we entered the world. So we, we went to a school called BCIT. We started, we studied marketing and sales. Um, and then we left um, our corporate job or we left uh, school and joined a corporate job company called Aerotech, essentially selling recruiting and staffing services. And we were top performers, top, top 10% of the whole entire company. It's a multi-billion dollar company. Three years running, we did extremely, extremely well. 
Um, and it was, in my opinion, it was hard to walk away from something like this because it could have been something that we literally could have lived on for the rest of our lives, supported probably another generation based off the money that we we're making within the company. Mm -hmm. But what didn't sit well with us was the fact that we we're building someone else's vision and the money that we made for the company in terms of revenue, we got a small portion of that. And the way that we looked at business always was if we were in business for ourselves, that truly means it's an uncapped uncapped commission and the amount of money that we were able to make. So when we heard about Amazon, it was back in 2017 from a gentleman named Tom Wang. Um, he came into our school, did, he honestly has a very similar route to us, went to BCIT, did sales um, for a couple of years out of BCIT, joined the corporate world then walked away from his job to do this full time. But he talked, he came into the sales class and chatted around um, Amazon. He made a little plug on Amazon. And at the time we were doing drop shipping, which completely flunked and failed. We didn't really know what we were doing, but the Amazon model really intrigued us. So we, we literally went out to the hallway and uh, we chatted with Tom and it was a great conversation. And we ended up joining his beta core. That said, this was back in 2017. We got caught up in the corporate rat race. We literally just wanted to work, 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 make a lot of money. And it was great because we were able to de develop skills and we were able to accumulate a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. um, but then we finally committed to the Amazon business towards the end of 2019. And we launched in May of 2020. No, sorry, 2018. And then we launched in May of 2019. And then by August of 2020, we actually walked away from our, our six-figure roles um, to pursue this full-time. It's been a crazy story. It's been super, super dynamic to say the least. It's been a roller coaster as well, both goods and bads. And I think that's the, that's the benefit of business. You really learn and adapt um, at an early age for us, especially. And we've been able to really excel um, within our business because of that. That's really impressive that both you guys uh, were on the same motivational and mindset path to actually change the outcome of your life. And it sounds like you guys just didn't want to have a career. You wanted to have a destiny and you wanted to be in the driver's seat and create your own destiny. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to pass it over to Eric and I'm going to say, what was the spark that really triggered it? Was it the fact that you guys were like working 60 plus hours a week or the fact that you had no free time, you had a ton of capital that your bosses are getting rich while you're doing all the legs? work? What really contributed to that motivational push that, that got you guys to transition from corporate America to the e-com world? You know, it was, it was a mixture of a lot of things, but I think the biggest thing was, and, and it's crazy because a lot of people saw COVID as an opportunity, especially in their e-commerce business. A lot of people sales plummeted. Uh, a lot of people didn't see it as an opportunity to, to continue to grow. Now, as Brian had mentioned, you know, we were spending 50 to 60 hours a week in an office, stuck to our desks, making calls, weren't able to do anything while we were at the office because, you know, we were in a pit, pit in, in an office of people. Everybody was around us, basically. So when we were working on our business, when we were in the office, it was always at nighttime, on the weekends, so on and so forth. But what happened when COVID hit was we actually started to work from home, right? So what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to, you know, during our... Um, our lunch breaks, was, which was an hour, we would go and we work on Amazon. I could get up out of my bed a little bit later, do a little bit of stuff before work without any issues. 5.30 comes around. I turn off that computer and I start working on Amazon. I didn't have to do an hour commute back or anything like that. So having the ability and the free time to be able to spend a little bit more on the business, we were able to, to like four, five, six X our business in a short period of time, just by putting in a little bit more time into the actual business. So, you know, our sales skyrocketed while COVID had happened. And we were just like, holy crap, like not only did sales start getting better, but on top of that as well, we, we got a good feeling of what it felt like working for ourselves because we no longer had the person or the manager behind us breathing on our shoulder. Uh, nobody was looking over us. We had that autonomy, right? So it gave us a good feeling of like, holy crap, is this what entrepreneurship feels like? Is this what being self-employed feels like? 
And in turn, you know, we started seeing the results in Amazon. Things started getting really fun and really interesting. And yeah, we just went into hyper, hyper growth mode and that's kind of where it all, all stemmed. But, you know, on top of that as well, it was, you know, the way that we pictured it was if we could spend 60 hours working on our business or businesses, instead of building somebody else's business, like the amount we'd be able to do is just exponential. Right. So, you know, again, we walked away from a lot, but it was very much so something we were willing to take that risk for because we knew we were capable of more and we knew we were capable of or doing whatever we wanted to achieve is really what it came down to because, you know, we were already an anomaly in that company. Um, we kind of broke the trend in all honesty. They didn't want to hire young people there. Um, and ever since we got brought in, they started hiring young people because they noticed that if you find the right young people, they don't necessarily even need to have education, but they started hiring people without education as long as they had the willingness to succeed, you know, the ability to persevere and, you know, we're at least goal-driven, trainable, so on and so forth. Those are the qualities that really s- spoke to the company and everything like that. And it's almost as if they empowered us because we were inspired about what we were doing for them. And it gave us the motivation and ability to be like, oh my God, like we should just do this ourselves. Like, why are we doing it for somebody else? That's as short as I could have kept it. <laughs> no, that's impressive. I, I like that. Obviously the company was, you guys definitely broke the mold by being the youngest people on that team. And definitely you guys were trainable. You were easily coachable. You were malleable. And they took that model and they moved it forward because you guys set a precedent. You guys were probably outpacing some of the older people that were in the company because they were just there to fill spot and just kind of do the churn and burn process and show for a paycheck, obviously make some commission, then just uh, wash, rinse, repeat every single day. What I find interesting is that you guys were in the staffing part of the uh, part of sales. So how did you guys take that staffing skill that you uh, were obviously doing? I imagine it was probably in something like uh, technology, probably technology staffing. We did staffing for all industries, actually. Um, You know, primarily we did a lot of manufacturing, which actually, you know, like a lot of stuff, like I've hired a lot of people in QC. So a lot of the stuff I learned in all of the terms locally, you know, only benefit us. We learned a lot about production, the production line, all of that kind of stuff, which again, it was all information we've been able to, to input into our business and understand things just a little bit better. But on top of that as well, like with staffing, we've, we've hired so many people. I've also fired so many people. Right. And we've also like now our team, I think we have like seven or eight VAs now, eight VAs, and we took that skill set of being able to hire people for companies. We built out a scorecard for a company. What our values are surrounded? How are we making that hire? We learned how to train people. We learned how to put SOPs together. Um, all of these different things to ensure that you know our VAs are building our vision with us, right? So um, you know it was it was a skill set that was so transferable to what we're doing now. And on top of that as well, like it was also a sales environment. So you know, sales is not the easiest job. We actually did door-to-door sales prior to this. And the ability to persevere in sales is something that is needed in business. And heck, we, we do a lot of selling nowadays as well. So, you know, the experience we had in, in, in the corporate world doing corporate recruiting and, and selling staffing and uh, staffing services as a whole, every, almost every single skill set has transferred into our e-com lives. People wouldn't realize it, but yeah, we've, uh, we developed such, such good skills that we use every single day. That's impressive that you guys managed to build a team and of eight people and you guys are definitely extremely young. Are you guys primarily just selling in Canada or are you doing Canada and the US, different marketplaces? Yeah, so we, we actually predominantly sell in the United States. That's something that we've uh, we've always looked into. We know that there's 10 times more traffic coming to the United States market, um, but we're still approaching our business and trying to find low competition markets that are ideally increasing over time. Um, with that said, yeah, we're, we're also in Canada, we're in Mexico. We just use the North American Remote Fulfillment Program 
Canada's a little bit messy right now. Um, there's a few COVID out- outbreaks within the warehouses. Limits are literally like 20 units of SKU current state for new sellers, but we have a bunch of inventory in a 3PL ready to come into Canada as soon as those limits are increased. So that's kind of our next step in order to scale and expand a little bit more. So tell me a little bit more about how you guys managed to start your business in COVID, especially during uh, on Amazon and bypass all the limitations and regulations that everybody else was suffering with during that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I'm going to have to flip a coin. I'm going to just start <laughs> shouting names and be like you, you answer this one. Then you answer that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, we started our business in May of 2019 and then COVID hit in March of 2020. So, um, you know, we had a good understanding of the business, but when COVID had hit, we were like, you know, let's double down. We had a bunch of cash reserved, um, from actually working and everything like that. You know, our first full year, I think we did two or three product launches. And last year we did 10 or nine, something like that. So, so we put a lot of money into the business because we knew we wanted to make it work, of course. So in terms of COVID, like how we've been able to, how we were able to handle it. Um, the biggest resource that we were able to use was the 3PL. I think everybody should have a 3PL by now. If I mean, there's been so much talks about it, uh, but we leverage that 3PL in many different ways now, right? It's not just a resource to be able to store inventory, put a little more cash into the business. We bought inventory in excess and we stored it at the 3PL. We would always send as much inventory as we could to Amazon, but with those limits, it was very challenging to do a product launch. So we had to be very strategic in how we approached the product launch. You know, when we had the, I think in March, it was a 50 unit limit. We, had, we were just doing a product launch at that time. But what we realized is that if we can consistently sell a few units every single day, like that next week, it was uh, 150 and then it went to 450 and everything like that. So we just built a really good relationship with our, our 3PL. Um, like I was on call basis with them. One of them, I was, I was even actually texting. And the reason why we were able to do that is because as soon as I needed something, you know, labeled, ready to go out, um, they were able to do it right on the fly. So um, one thing I learned about being in business, especially in the corporate world, was that relationships are absolutely everything. I mean, if you can build good relationships with the people that you are wanting to work with or the people that are in your network, you know, you can leverage those relationships to help grow your business. So um, that was one thing that we really leveraged as well. And yeah, we were just really proactive when it came to supply chain. We always factored it in for a couple extra weeks for shipping. Production times were also going through the roof, which is one other thing that we did as well was um, I developed a term that I put in all of my invoices that actually saved us a lot of money. So this was kind of there to protect us. The term was essentially production must be completed in 30 days, for example, if production is delayed on day one, a 2% discount will be granted on the actual full order. And then for every additional day, it's an additional 1%. Um, so that allowed our people in our, uh, like our suppliers, it really made them work. We actually had a lot of people finish orders prior to the actual start date. So that helped us a lot. But on top of that as well, we actually had one supplier that was 13 days late. Uh, we ended up getting like a three grand discount on it. And it sucks because um, we didn't end up running out of stock of that product, but it was very, very close. So it protected us to have that. We saved three grand. They granted it like no issue, but it never happened again with that supplier, right? So um, we were looking at bigger picture. What can we do to protect us, but also show our suppliers that we're serious. And if they are able to abide to what we say and what we agree to in any contracts that we put together with uh, purchase orders, then we're, we're ideally wanting to be a long-term partner. And that's something that I always put a big emphasis on when I'm talking to suppliers is, um, hey, we're in it for a long-term relationship. And, and yeah, so we developed a few interesting terms that we put into all of our terms. Now, I actually teach a lot of people to use this as well because 
it saves me a lot of money and it's there. For it also keeps the supplier accountable. Exactly. And, and that was the whole goal around it uh, initially. Yeah. What it, what it reminds me of, honestly, is like when I used to rent places, right. And you'd have those terms in your lease, right. If you uh, miss your rent on this day, obviously there's going to be a surcharge and we have a little buffer zone, but after that, it's going to keep on increasing your rent, which definitely keeps tenants in check. So obviously you guys have used that to your advantage. You're obviously uh, going after building these long-term relationships. How have you built the long-term relationships starting off with your own internal team? How do you guys go about uh, cultivating and, and building that relationship? This is something that we definitely learned through our corporate lifestyle, to be honest with you, but culture is massive within, within our organization specifically, right? Um, at the end of the day, I think um, one, setting expectations on the front end is key. Absolutely key. It's almost like, hey, here is our vision and you need to abide by this vision. We need to be working in COASIN so that we can build this together. It's not a one-man show because then they, they lose control. So we have things that help us monitor that essentially. One is making sure that we're scheduling um, pretty much time blocking. And time blocking has helped Eric and I immensely throughout um, not only our corporate lifestyle, but also our entrepreneurship lifestyle as well. But time blocking, making sure that we have specific tasks for specific times and timeframes for those. Having that and having that expectation set allows us to make sure that we know that the, the tasks in the business are getting done for one, but two, it also gives the employee clear direction that, hey, you're going to have a full workload this week. And that really just puts them down, puts their head down when they work. We also work with, like it's like Eric said, it's predominantly VAs. So dealing with Filipinos, we're Filipino ourselves, they're extremely hard workers. So making sure that we do the screening on the front end, this is something that we always say, even in our coaching program, Current State, but we make sure to partner up with the right people on the front end. That way on the back end, it's not nearly as hard to train them back up. As long as they have the right mindset and they're willing to you know, make, uh, make concessions and they're willing to work with us, we're willing to work with them as well. So from an internal standpoint, you know, we're always giving bonuses. We have compensation structures based off of a performance of our business, all these different things. And it just motivates people and it levels up people. Whenever we have new vision planning, we invite our entire team. Whenever we have things that are being released, we make sure that we're giving them a rundown or we're building out SOPs for them so that they're clear and not left in the dark. Um, and it's, we've been able to really leverage our team to really take time off our hands. So when we talk about sustainability, I think Eric and I in our main business, we probably put in like less than five hours a week because our team is predominantly running it. We're just more so attached to the launch and verifying products that we want to relaunch. That's impressive that you guys have managed to get your workload down to five hours a week. And you took a whole hour out of your day to have this podcast right here. <laughs> so I feel like I'm stealing a bunch of time away from you guys. <laughs> no worries. No worries. What's really impressive is that you guys have managed to build these automated systems on the backs of pre-existing models that you've just replicated, tweaked, and then designed to fit your business and your lifestyle. So with, with that being said, what, what kind of softwares are you guys using? What do you use to actually uh, truly scale up and automate the business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, from an employee standpoint, honestly, we, we pretty much just use Trello to manage our, our, our employee um, day-to-day operations. Trello is one. Skype communication every single day, every single week, we'll have weekly meetings. Um, on top of that, um, when it comes to our actual business itself, we have a bunch of different softwares that we use to automate things when it comes to the actual production of things. So Elite, Elite Seller is, is one that we obviously use. We love their funnels. I've been using Elite Seller way before you guys started promoting it. I was introduced to it from an affiliate back in like towards the end of last year, if not beginning of Q4. And you guys were like 
beta, beta, beta pricing. And I've been using it and I, and I fell in love with the software just because it's super centralized and easy to use. But on top of that, obviously, when it, when it comes to your, your product research, we predominantly use Viral Launch. Any other softwares that we use, Eric? Yeah, no, apart from that, we use different Chrome extensions like um, Seller Tools has a good suite of tools as well. Uh, we use Seller Tools for different things, of course. Um, ManyChat, obviously, we have a, a, a QR codes that hook up to ManyChat. We go through custom flow with them, obviously. And then apart from that, just like, you know, Facebook advertising, all of those tools that everybody has uh, available in terms of softwares. We try to, to optimize it. We do use Helium 10 as well. Um, that's something we're, uh, we're diving deep into. I'm, I'm a big believer that Helium 10, I think, is kind of where the tools are going. And like Viral Launch versus Helium 10, I think Helium 10 is kind of where we want to spend more time. But yeah, apart from that, we do a lot of stuff in spreadsheets as well. Uh, one of our VAs is a whiz with Excel. Uh, so she makes a lot of dynamic spreadsheets for us and everything like that. And, you know, we do all of our inventory forecasting directly on there. We do, you know, cash flow forecasting, P&Ls, all that kind of stuff. It's all done on a spreadsheet that's dynamic to, you know, on a monthly basis, we input our values and everything gets dynamically updated. So yeah, we're, I'm a big data geek. Yeah, I'd say Excel <laughs> is definitely something that we utilize a lot. Even like um, every single day, our VA tracks conversions, tracks ranks. When it comes down to data, like being attached to that and, and, be, and knowing the numbers on a daily basis helps you make more strategic decisions sooner. So I'm always in there looking at the data. That's probably something that, that takes um, a little bit of the time that we put into the business, maybe 10, 10 minutes a day, just because these spreadsheets are so easy to use. VA just lets us know whenever they're ready and we just go in there and make sure everything looks good. If there's any action that we need to take, we'll do a brainstorm with one of our VAs. We, she's an operations manager. She's literally, I almost think that she's, when it comes to the back end, the health of the account, things along those lines, like I'm pretty sure she's better than us at this kind of stuff. And it was rare <laughs> to find someone like this. She came in with a great skill set, and then we really honed in, developed more skills to be more on top of our quality and our processes. And She's an absolute wizard. Yeah, to have a business manager like that obviously saves you guys a ton of time because then that'd be you guys in, a, in the spreadsheets every single day updating updating single cells. What I find really interesting is that uh, we had like a light discussion before we even hopped on, the, hopped on the podcast is that you guys were gearing up for your first exit, your first ever Amazon exit. So tell us how you, uh, how you guys managed to reverse engineer this entire process so that you guys can get geared up for your first exit in less than three years. First things first, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of chat about, you know, we've had about six or seven aggregators actually reach out to us at the beginning of this year uh, with a lot of interest in our business. So one thing that I want to make very uh, apparent on the front end is like building a brand and making sure that your niche focus becomes way more attractable for people to reach out to you as opposed to you reaching out to people for, for an acquisition. So that's one thing that I'll mention on the front end. Now, I actually put together an example. I put together specifically the example that we worked off, first of all, to be able to quit our job. So I'll chat about that. And then afterwards, we can kind of chat about the multiples um, and kind of how your business can, can exit and what kind of multiples the industry is kind of offering current state. But you know, when we sat down, we kind of peeled back like, hey, how much, how much money do we need to be taking out of the business for us to quit our jobs? So it was about $3,500 to live comfortably and to replace our full-time income. And it wasn't to replace our full-time income, but it was enough for us to live comfortably um, and still have cash flow coming into the business, not only to take out for us, but also to reinvest back in. The way that we've always really looked at our business, quite frankly, is more of a sustainable business. We weren't trying to find that one product that did $50,000 in revenue. Even though we have a product that does about forty dollars to $50,000 in revenue, we didn't expect that to happen. We're more so about finding small wins that are contributing to your, your entire goal. So our, our position was like, hey, let's launch four to five products that do between five to 10K in revenue. 
and let's aim to get 25 to 30K in revenue on a monthly basis. And then we always have always sat at about a healthy profit margin around 30%. Like last year we did 29% was the exact profit margin that we did net. Let's say we did five products at $5,000. That equals $25,000 in revenue. At a 30% margin, you're essentially profiting $7,500. In order to take out what we needed for us to live comfortably, $3,500, That means we had $4,000 still left with profit to put back into the business. And that's super important. Reinvesting your profits back into the business helps you build more sustainability. As you can imagine, when your product life grows within a cycle, you have to put money into that to stay up with the demand, right? You're always going to get more orders, more social proof. You're going to to start growing. You're going to start scaling your PPC ads, things along those lines. So larger inventory orders were always needed. But on top of that, you always wanted to launch more and more products. So that's the first thing. Now, when we were talking about talking with aggregators, they kind of said like a healthy amount of products is between 10 to 15 and at least two to three years in business um, for someone to be kind of like, hey, I want to acquire this brand. It's shown a lot of growth. It has a large product line. I'm just kind of stepping in and taking over and maybe adding products to it. So, you know, speaking to those guys, I've had a lot of people in the industry that are, that have exited for three, four X. I've had someone that has gotten offers at a six X multiple. And I think that's a massive opportunity for people because there's so many aggregators coming into this space, current state. And if you can create a bidding war between people, which is pretty much what we're going to be doing at the end of this year, that's when you're going to get a much higher, (laughs) yeah, that's where you're going to be getting a much, much, much higher uh, return all said and done. But to put things in perspective, like if we were to aim for a million dollar a year at a 30% margin, our profit for the year is, is $300,000. If you exit at, let's say a 4X multiple, you're already over a $1 million exit, right? So all said and done, like if you put that into perspective, yes, you're putting money back into the business. Yes, you put capital into the business, but where you really see the massive growth and the big cash out is when you, when you cash out and when you get an offer for your business and, and it's acquired. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that here, but. No, I think you, you pretty much broke it down. Yeah, uh, at a million dollar valuation and exit, just like Brian mentioned, if we're you know, keeping keep steady with the profit margin of around that 30% mark um, and just with where these exits are going these days, I think a three is very healthy, a three times multiple, but I think even higher is probably more ideal, um, especially because the appetite is so crazy right now. So yeah, definitely want to to get this first brand sold. We're actually starting another one uh, current state right now. I actually just placed the order yesterday. Um, I'm starting, we're starting out with two brand new SKUs and the goal ideally is actually to build, you know, one business every two to three years and exit every two to three years. That's the best case scenario. So obviously you guys definitely have a long-term plan, wash, rinse and repeat. You already know what's, what's about to happen. You've already laid the foundation for what is going to happen next. It's kind of like a predictable roadmap for your own success and allow you guys to, to scale up your business. So uh, obviously after the exit happens, double down on the other business, grow that one up even faster, and then continue to multiply and exit out, which is really impressive that you guys managed to actually create all this in such a short time frame. especially uh, if these aggregators are looking for brands to have establishment for three years. You guys just broke the two and a half year mark. So yet again, you guys are actively breaking the mold for what it's like to not only work in a corporate environment, an Amazon environment, and then to actually be extremely successful entrepreneurs and exit. Like what kind of foundation did you guys have growing up that just pushed these, the, this envelope for you? We learned so much from our parents and it was all always indirect. They always made us work for, for everything. They never gave us a penny or anything like that. Work ethic was something that was, you know, drilled into us basically from the beginning. Like our parents moved out here 
um, started like they were first round immigrants. Like Brian had mentioned at the beginning, started with nothing. Like my parents, my dad worked at a pizza place in McDonald's. My mom worked as a nanny. Uh, that's how most people from the Philippines come out to Canada. And they started from nothing and they built up our lives um, basically from scratch. Like my dad is a workhorse, always has been, always will be. He just loves to work. So I, I definitely contribute a lot of uh, our work ethic coming from our parents. Um, and on top of that as well, like we just always had an entrepreneurial drive in us. Like, you know, if you knew us from high school, we were the ones that created a thing called the Zab Loans. Uh, where we would basically lend money to friends. <laughs> we were like loan sharks. We would lend money to friends and charge a ridiculous interest rate. Um, and the amount of people that were that were like taking money from us was just crazy. And we made, we made so much money. We would buy car, like we were car guys too. So we would, you know, buy cars for cheap, fix them up, sell them and flip them. We did just about everything. And, and even when we started, I think when we were like 10, 11, 12 or something like that, we had a paper route for four years. And then on top of that, in that period, we went from one paper route to three paper routes. So we were always doing something to earn money because we knew that in order for us to have a future for ourselves, we weren't going to get it from our parents. Yes, they've done a lot for us and everything like that, of course. And they're our biggest supporters to date, but they always were the people that were like, you know, go work for, for what you want, because that's what's really going to teach you and allow you to build a skill set that you can take just about anywhere. And, and that's kind of how it all stemmed in all honesty. So yeah, in short, we always had an entrepreneurial drive and then our parents just instilled like the ability to, to be hard workers and have good work ethic, because I'm a big believer, especially in entrepreneurship, that if you have those two, two things, like if you can work hard and can persist, get back up when you get knocked down, anything's possible. You don't have to be a wizard at anything. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people right now that, that don't even have computer experience um, and they crush it on Amazon. It's not a matter of being a pro when it comes to technology. It's just, you know, being that sponge, being able to listen to feedback, take feedback and implement the feedback. And then, you know, when you get knocked down, be able to get back up. <laughs> and when you get hit, you got to be able to stand back up. What, what I find really interesting, Eric, is that you're the analytical one. Brian's the, uh, the creative one, but both of you guys were born with the hustle gene, which is, which is truly impressive, right? So uh, with, with all that, and you guys having this wealth of experience in your corporate background and now in e-com, who's been the biggest motivator or biggest inspiration for you in the Amazon sphere? I got to say Tom Wang, man, as uh, like Tom is, he's kind of been with us since the beginning. Um, we've seen the lifestyle he's been able to build. He recently exited out of his business. He's got a very successful coaching business. He's changing lives by the daily. We're, uh, I don't want to say mimicking what he's doing, but we're, we're very motivated by him and very, very inspired by his growth and what he's been able to achieve. Um, and just because, you know, he's kind of the one that got us into Amazon. We've always been attached to him. We've always been um, following his story and things along those lines. So, yeah, I, I have to say the same. Um, you know, there's a lot of big sellers out there that we learn from, we get inspired by. Um, but I think it's just the connection that we've had right from the get-go. Like if it wasn't for Tom, we wouldn't be where we are today. And it's, it's as simple as him just being up in front of the classroom and just doing a quick plug about Amazon, right? Forever grateful for that. If it wasn't for that, yeah, yeah I don't know where I'd be today. <laughs> I'd probably be doing something. Uh, that, one, that one interaction changed the life of both of you guys. And now you guys are actively, you guys already have your own Facebook group. You have your own Instagram. Now you guys are essentially paying it forward by replicating the same model that Tom did and going out there and helping as many people as possible. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your course that you guys have, because I know you guys just recently came out with some educational materials and uh, how to actually scale up your business to uh, roughly five figures in three months or less. 
on Amazon. Tell, tell me about that. We saw a little bit of a gap in the marketplace where, you know, there's a bunch of course owners there that don't offer necessarily a bunch of coaching. They kind of just give you a platform to watch on-demand training. And then it's like, go figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, something like even when we were working our corporate jobs, a lot of the people that I recruited specifically were helping people that were immigrants and people that wanted to change their lives. So we get a lot of fulfillment and that's probably where we spend most of our time right now, the coaching business. Cause like I said, the Amazon businesses are fairly automated. We have a solid team built out. So the coaching businesses were really, really, really attached. So, um, you know, when we come and we approach our Amazon program, I don't really like to call it a course, to be honest with you, because in my opinion, it's more of a coaching program or a training program. It's all about like one, helping you understand everything from a logical standpoint, because if you don't understand what's happening behind the scenes and you don't understand why, it's going to be hard for you to duplicate and replicate it. And it's honestly just going to overwhelm and confuse you. So that's one thing. We make sure that we break it down on the back end before we actually go and head and implement it. One thing that we start off with is mindset. So a lot of the things that contributed to our success within the Amazon space was leaning on mentors and being resourceful, making sure that we're asking questions and just being aware that we didn't need to know all the answers. The Amazon community is so willing to help. It's insane. As long as you're willing to ask, you will be able to walk through any kind of problem or challenge. And that's where the coaching aspect comes in. So on top of all the training that all of the uh, on-demand training, we probably have, I think, 150 modules within our program. They're all short, easy to digest, of course, but we try to break it up by topic, topic so that we don't overwhelm people. And it's, a, it's very much so a drip course. So again, when we started in 2017, we were quite overwhelmed and that's why we didn't get started. We're making good money in, in, uh, in the corporate job as well. So we're like, how can we approach this so that it's easy to digest? It doesn't overwhelm people. And we have a platform so that people can ask a lot of questions and we can work through challenges. So we do group calls on a weekly basis. We have one-on-one mentors that help and specifically mentor within specific processes in the business, one being product validation, because people will get hung up on finding a product. It's not necessarily about finding a, a product that you're necessarily passionate about. It's more so about relying on the data and making sure that it makes sense from a financial standpoint right? As long as you're making money, you can turn a business into a passion. You will be, uh, you will find something that you love to do within your business. And the things that you don't like to do, those are the things that you outsource. Um, and then on top of that, within the course, we very much so just try to bake into the mindset that like, Hey, you're here to build a sustainable business. Don't try to go after one product where you're going to try to make a lot of money and that product can potentially flunk. We talk about all the sustainability. So that example that I I broke down, we break all these things down on the course as well on how you should approach it. We have kickoff calls with everyone on the front end to make sure that we understand their goals and then we can hold them accountable. We have an admin that it's literally booking what we call momentum calls whenever people need it, right? Because a lot of people fall off track if you don't have anyone holding them accountable, including us when we first started. So we've kind of just tried to close all those gaps within it. And over the past three months, we've been able to enroll like almost 50 people within the program. We did a beta program prior to, so we have about a hundred students within the group already um, that are attending these group coaching calls. So it's been really good. We're getting a ton of great feedback and it's been extremely fulfilling to say the least. No, that's, that's absolutely impressive. And to be able to have that accountability program built in is, is monumental because even when you go to the gym, you can have some days where you're just exhausted. But if you see your gym pal there, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to push it. He's going to help me push it. We're both going to get, we're both going to hit our goals, whether it's our desired body or, or get this new PR to have that person there to help you out is fantastic. And obviously you guys piggyback off of each other, throwing ideas. You guys are essentially your own internal support system to building your own businesses. Eric, what do you have to follow up with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think Brian broke it down really, really well. Um, you know, one one thing 
that I always like to say, you know, when I'm talking to potential students is that uh, we don't just work with anybody, right? Like, you know, going back to our corporate recruitment lifestyle um, and what we learned there is that there's, a, you know, if you make one bad hire, um, and in this case, you make one, you make that one bad person come into the group, um, you know, for example, they don't have the mindset that's needed to succeed. Maybe they don't have the resources that, that are there to succeed. Uh, we're big believers that we need people to, to hit certain criterias in order to be a fit to work with us, right? Because we want to ensure that they're going to be successful. And we don't say like, you know, if we say no to a person, we just say it's not the right time. Um, and we are honest with them at the end of the day, right? We're very selective with who we work with because uh, we're not looking to, to be a program that has 5,000 people or anything like that. We want to be the faces of the program. We want to be people that are there to help our students, of course. And, you know, just like Brian had mentioned, you know, our, the premise of the program is built on accountability, but also ensuring that, you know, they're not being dependent on us necessarily. Uh, and what I mean by that is that we've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentoring and there's times where students can be dependent in a sense that, you know, you hop on a call with them and they expect you to do things, right? I'm not a big believer of that because our goal with every single student that comes through the door is that we want to help you build a sustainable business, but before a sustainable business, build sustainable skill sets, right? And if you're relying on your mentor or your coach to teach you and do everything with you or for you, um, how are you going to be able to go replicate that a year down the road when, you know, potentially us won't be, be there, of course. Now, of course, we'll be there, but you don't want to be relying on somebody your whole life. So uh, we try to- yeah, you're taking your crutches out from under them. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we, we really try to instill confidence into them. And, and this is why we spend time only in uh, three core components of the business. Number one is product validation, right? Because again, this is the make or break of a business. Um, you know, people really need to understand what a good product looks like, why it's good, why it's bad, why it's different, why you need to make this change over that change, right? And if they can build that skill set, then you're already set up for a great opportunity to build a sustainable Amazon business. But if you don't know what a, pro a good product looks like and you get into something because you're super passionate about it, but heck, it's so competitive. Well, then your confidence when you're building the business is going to stifle like crazy. So we spend a lot of time there. Now, you know, we don't limit people as to how many calls they can have because I am a big believer that people need to learn at their own pace. There's some people that will pick it up on call one and then there's some people that will pick it up on call, on call five. And we're totally okay with that because, you know, we've seen everybody, just about everybody come through the door and we know the differences in people. In my opinion, again, no one size fits all. And we always size people up to ensure that we know that. And the second portion we send, spend time with people is the next, in my opinion, core component of the business, which is preparing for an actual launch, right? So building out a unique strategy for the product. Uh, a lot of people out there teach a strategy that helps you get the results, right? One strategy is a blanket agreement that's like, hey, this is the one strategy that's going to work. But with that said, in all honesty, like we, we do three different launches, um, depending on the characteristics of a product, we look at every product being unique, right? If a product has a mass appeal, then doing things with Facebook ads or external traffic will be very useful. But if you have something that's very, very specific, and the example I always give is, um, you know, if, if you're selling rock climbing carabiners, trying to sell that through Facebook ads or going to a funnel or doing external traffic can be hard because the interest targeting when it comes to rock climbers is just not there, right? So you can spend a lot of money and you don't necessarily get the result that you, that you want. Whereas in a scenario like that, why not do something like a PPC launch? I always break down Amazon and, um, you know, like using Facebook or external traffic as the emotional based market and Amazon's an intent based market. Um, and intent-based market, meaning, you know, if, if somebody's looking for a rock climbing carabiner, well, they're going to search that up. You just need to attract them to your listing, 
right? So that's being like top of search. How can you be the person that they click on? Um, how do you have that main image look super appealing that allows them to click? But yeah, that's in a scenario like that, we would recommend something like a PPC launch, for example. And then, you know, the last thing that we spend a lot of time with people. And the reason I do this is because selfishly, I had a lot of issues learning pay-per-click advertising and I know it's challenging. I know it's overwhelming. So we, we spend time with people there putting in processes, teaching people the higher level education in terms of PPC so that they can use it as a tool to scale their business on Amazon. Cause a lot can be done on PPC, but if you can't manage it, then you can get unprofitable pretty damn quickly. That's extremely impressive that you guys managed to coalesce all these skill sets in such a short time frame, and then build out a community that revolves around your experience. So I imagine when you guys first started that you guys weren't hitting, uh, you weren't hitting home runs right out the gate. You had some products that obviously failed, some products that were just dead in the water before they even arrived, maybe some bad selection, maybe some emotional attachment to some products. And like, no, this one's definitely a winner, but it, but it turned out, you know, the numbers, numbers don't lie. Right. But to be able to actually build all this out and then have it as an easy digestible, uh, bite-sized bits of information for people to consume and then easy access to, to both of you guys for essentially guidance is, is impressive. When it comes to your product launches, I want to dive in a little bit more deep because Technically, this, this would be like a very interesting uh, discussion point right here is have you guys ever considered going down the route of using Pinterest or Etsy or anything like that for those truly niche audience, such as your rock climbing Caribbean? Absolutely. I, I would definitely say that external traffic is probably one of the, bi- the best ways to rank your product on Amazon current state. Now, what I'll say is Eric has been able to really hone in and develop skills when it comes to Facebook advertisements. Uh, because we did a lot of drop shipping and that was the main intent for us to do drop shipping was for us to learn digital advertising. Now, with that said, we didn't really dive into the Pinterest um, side of things or other external networks. Now, with that said, we just hired a mentor specifically to help us with this. Um, we're a big fan of mentors, to be honest with you. Whenever we don't have a skill set, we know that we can learn it from someone else. So we did our due diligence um, and we're working with the Shaky Brothers, Zan and Hassan, um, who are masters with external traffic and ranking. Um, but we've hired them on. Um, we're working with them on a, on a bi-weekly basis to help us fine-tune those skills so that we can hopefully eventually transfer this over and this knowledge over to our audience. The overall realm of the course and any kind of program is... Don't try to make mistakes on your, by yourself. People have already gone through that process. So why not just adopt someone that's already going through these things? Because mm-hmm. they've already invested the money. They already made the mistakes. They're just giving you a framework at this point. So a lot of people look at a price point on a, on a program as too much of an investment. But in my opinion, the ROI that you get on it is, is absolutely immense, immensely insane. Yeah, that's impressive that you guys mentioned that, especially the, the, the notion of failing forward, right? You guys obviously put a lot of time broke your teeth, broke some elbows, have some battle scars in the Amazon business, got back up, put your mouthpiece back in and then got back into the ring. But you guys have obviously leveraged the experience of other Amazon sellers in the community and use that to your advantage. So now you're passing that information down to your, your audience and telling them like, Hey, you don't need to go down this route. Like we can tell you, avoid these pitfalls. Here's how to navigate this course and get from point A to point B as easily as possible. What I'd like to know next from you guys is what do you have planned after the, uh, after the first initial exit and then going forward? Are you guys going to like triple down on the next business? What's the roadmap for the Zap Twins in the next three to five years? Um, I don't know if I brought it up prior to, um, prior to us recording here, but uh, we actually, like I just placed a deposit on two new SKUs for a new brand that we're starting. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that Amazon works. And 
And why? Well, I've seen the results. We've seen the results. We've seen a lot of our students see the results, right? It works. There's no questions about it. And I'm, a, again, big believer that e-commerce is kind of where the world is going. So, you know, the next five years, our goal is hopefully by, you know, within five years, we'll have three brands sold, um, but just continue to build um, over again, like that two to three year period and sell a brand every other year is really what it comes down to. Um, especially if, you know, we, we do have this exit and we have all this cash flow. I can't imagine what I'd be able to do with a crap ton of money. Um, I'd probably be able to grow that, that brand a lot quicker, especially knowing and all the hoops that we've jumped through on this first brand, all the mistakes that we've made on the first brand, we got it down to a T and the process is something that, you know, again, if I was able to, to have a clean sheet and start, all over again, I think I'd be able to, we, we'd be able to do, you know, this same thing in a shorter period of time, probably do it much more successfully and more profitably. <laughs> That's kind of what's down the pipeline. We definitely want to continue within the coaching space. Um, and I'm curious to see how, where that goes in all honesty. Um, we got big plans in terms of what we want to do. Um, like I'd love to be able to hold events or be parts of events and that kind of stuff. Just be out there in the Amazon community. Because one thing that we haven't experienced being entrepreneurs is like the ability to do what we want when we want, because we've been tied in from COVID, right? So we haven't really, we haven't really had the ability to go and travel, for example, um, or teach at an event or something down in the States. But yeah, I, I, you know, being able to give back, but also continue building. Like I, I just love building things. And what I love about Amazon is that you can get results so damn fast and it's so rewarding when you get the results. So it's kind of like an addiction at the end of the day. What I think would be next in line for you guys is bring back Zab loans. I have a feeling that's going to come back again. <laughs> Turn to your own lending partner one again for Amazon businesses. We are. We're chatting about it. We're chatting about like an incubator program, something along those lines. To be honest with you, like something that I'll bring up that we're still kind of vision planning on is uh, is actually entering and kind of breaking the stigma that like, hey, you need to take a, a, a post-secondary route and, and go to business school so that you can start a business or go to business school so you can get into a corporate job. We've been chatting for a while here, but um, essentially approaching like high school students um, and, and school districts within our local area and kind of pitching classes to them to get them knowing what e-commerce is, because it is, in my opinion, it is the next route where people can make a lot of money. We now with COVID, a lot of consumer behavior has shifted towards purchasing online. And this is something that we were actually chatting about before COVID. And it was just kind of like, damn, this is really an opportunity for us. But when we were in high school, um, we didn't really know about e-commerce as a whole. We didn't really know that we could make money online with little overhead costs, with minimal time spent. And I feel like high school students still don't know that current state. So we want to go in there and kind of break that. That's one of the goals that we have, probably a two, three-year timeframe down the road, but being uh, essentially equity partners within those companies that we build with those students and providing capital for them. And then we would just bake in a deal where we get our money back plus a, a portion of the business. Something along those lines, again, still ironing things out, but that's definitely something that we want to do. So everybody that's listening, that's Zab Loans that'll be released in 2024. Uh, make sure you hit <laughs> Eric and Brian Zab up and you can join your community. They'll definitely partner with you and they'll take a portion of your business after they help you sell it as well. Uh, Eric, Brian, thank you guys for, uh, for being on the Elite Seller Show. It was a pleasure having you. Next time we will have you guys back on. We can talk about a couple other things like mindset, which I feel is 
an extremely important topic uh, to dive into. Yeah. And uh, we can take it from there. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, make sure you leave a comment below, like us on YouTube, make sure you follow the Zab Twins on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram at the Zab Twins. You can find them uh, individual Facebook page. You can find them on Facebook, the Zab Twins. And again, uh, hop over to Elite Seller, start your 14 day free trial. Make sure you put the code Josh 15 in at the end and you can uh, start running your business like the CEO that we know that you are. Pleasure having you on guys. Thank you. Thanks Josh.